All right, well, today we begin our journey with Joshua. We'll be journeying with him through the book that bears his name, the book of Joshua, the sixth book in the Bible. I've chosen for us to do this study in the book of Joshua because God has a lot to teach us about himself, about his plan, and how we should be strong and courageous in our obedience. As a church, we need to be strong and courageous and follow God's lead in obedience to him and to his word, stepping forward in faith, trusting God anew and afresh for God to do his will through us. As families, We need to be strong and courageous and follow God's lead in obedience to him, to his word, stepping forward in faith, trusting God anew and afresh for him to do his will through us. As individual followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be strong and courageous, follow God's lead in obedience to him, to his word, stepping forward in faith, trusting God anew and afresh. For him to do his will through us. Joshua 1, 8 through 9 are some of the most powerful, positive words. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As God took his people on a journey of faith some 3,500 years ago, we pray as we study the book of Joshua together that God will take us on a journey of faith as well. Anybody here need a little help to be strong and courageous in Christ? Well, let's read together. Joshua 1, 8 and 9. We'll read together. Joshua 1, 8 and 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, now in these moments, as we kind of venture off into our journey into the sixth book of your Bible, to the book of Joshua, we pray for your blessings. We pray that our ears would hear your word, that your spirit would enliven within us the truth of of your word. We would be convicted, we would be challenged, we'd be comforted. Lord, our strength would grow in this journey, our courage would grow in this journey, our faith would grow in this journey we would meet and glorify Jesus Christ throughout. In his name we pray, amen. Well, the book of Joshua is historical narrative. It gives the historical truths of God's people as they entered in the promised land. 
Now, sometimes as we interact with historical narrative books of the Bible, we can have the tendency to read them just like history. We can have the tendency to kind of just look at the facts and the details. Joshua is a book of history, but it's much more than that. Joshua is the book in the Bible that describes the people of Israel preparing and then, and then finally entering and conquering the promised land. But it's so much more than that. Chapters 6 through 22 of Joshua are all about the conquering of the land and then the distributing of the land. One of the great themes in Joshua is the land. Really, throughout the whole Old Testament, the land is a major theological theme. See, the first book in the Bible, Genesis, is God creating and then sovereignly choosing Abraham and his family, establishing his covenant with them, and then promising them a land. It ends with the descendants of Abraham, not in the promised land, but in Egypt. Then in Exodus is the story of the bondage of Israel in slavery in Egypt. And then the miraculous deliverance of God that brings Moses and the people heading towards the promised land. It includes the first giving of the law and the building of the tabernacle. Then there's the whole book of Leviticus. It's given to the people while they're at Mount Sinai. It further details how the people of Israel are to follow the law and to live out their covenant relationship with God. Then there's the book of Numbers. Sounds like a boring book by its name. But actually, there's amazing stories in there that chronicles the story of the people of Israel while in their 40 years of wilderness wanderings, slowly following God's leadership, heading towards the promised land. Then there's the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' final message to the people. They're now poised. They're on the verge of entering the promised land, and Moses gives them this final message. Then there's the book of Joshua, which flows directly from the end of Deuteronomy. It's really the conclusion to the whole Pentateuch. Pentateuch is a word that's used to describe the first five books of the Bible. It's often also called just the law throughout the Bible. The book of Joshua is the realization of God's promises. In Hebrew, the Old Testament is broken down into three sections. There's the Torah, which is another name for the first five books of the Bible. Then there's the prophets and the writings. Joshua is the first book in the section called the prophets. Often when we break down the Old Testament, we break it down into five sections. We have the law, then history, then poetry, then the major prophets and minor prophets. We often classify Joshua as a book of history. The Hebrew people, long before we classified anything, classified Joshua as the first book of the prophets. You see, the book of Joshua and all the books of the Bible is first and foremost a book of theology. The book of Joshua might seem at first glance to be about Joshua. After all, it talks about him from the very beginning of chapter 1 till his death at the end of the book in chapter 24. But in reality, the main character of the book of Joshua isn't Joshua. It's God. God is doing the choosing. God is doing the directing. God is doing the miracles. God is bringing about the victories and the judgment. God is showing his sovereignty over all peoples. And God is laying out to them a challenge of blessings and cursings. It's important to understand that Joshua isn't just history. It's prophecy. 
It's theology. The book of Joshua details for us God's fulfillment of the promise of giving to the Israelite people the land. This first and happened in Genesis 12, 1 through 2, where God calls Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Then later in verses 5 through 7 it says, When he came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And that time the Canaanites lived in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your offspring I will give this land. The promise of the covenant and of the land was first given there and then reiterated again to Abraham in Genesis 15 and then to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis 26, then to Isaac's son Jacob into Genesis 28. Then in Genesis 33, God renames Jacob. He gives Jacob a new name. He renames him Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So Israel had 12 sons who had become the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. See, the Jewish people are called the children of Israel because they're literally the children of Israel. The nation of Israel is called that today because Israel is the name of the man who actually fathered the nation of Israel. So as we launch into our study today, I thought it would be good for us to, to know some of this information and get to know Joshua a little bit more. The book of Joshua starts off saying, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Joshua is the new leader of the whole nation of Israel. Well, how did he get there? How did he become the next leader after Moses? When you think of the most important people in the Old Testament, Moses is at the top of the list, right? Joshua was the man that followed after him. What a privilege. And what a weight of responsibility. Well, with some help from some commentaries, I put together this great outline for the life of Joshua. Joshua was a slave in Egypt, a soldier for Israel, a servant of Moses, one of the 12 spies who went in to spy out the land. He was the successor to Moses, and he was a spirit-filled follower of God. Slave, soldier, servant, spy, successor, and spirit-filled. It's a great outline to remember the life of Joshua. Joshua 24, 29 tells us that Joshua was 110 years old when he died. Several commentaries I looked at said that the events of the book of Joshua took about 25 years. So at the start of the book of Joshua, Joshua was about 80, 85 years old. So we know that they wandered in the wilderness, the people of Israel, for 40 years. So when the miraculous exodus happened, 
Joshua was about 40, 45 years old. Moses, we know, was 80 years old. So that means that Joshua spent his first 40, 45 years of his life in slavery under the brutality of the Egyptians. Joshua knew what it was like to be a slave. He knew what it was like to be powerless. He knew what it was like to be treated more like an animal than a person. Exodus 1.13 describes what it was like. It says they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. In mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You see, Joshua knew the pain and the loss and the degradation of slavery. One of the interesting things we learn about Joshua is that Joshua was not his given name. His given name was Hoshea. There's an account when Moses sends out the 12 spies in Numbers 13 and 14, which we're going to look at a little later. But in Numbers 13, 16, if you want to turn there, you can. Numbers 13, 16, it lists the names of all the 12 spies uh, that Moses sent. And it ends here in 13, 16 in Numbers. These are the names of the men who Moses sent out to spy the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Hoshea, his given name, simply means salvation. That's the name his parents gave him. Perhaps an expression of the hope that, that someday they would be saved from their slavery. Joshua, the name that Moses changed his name to, means the Lord is salvation. He changed his name some two years after the miraculous exodus from the slavery in Egypt. Moses, for sure, purposely changed his name to Joshua to express the fact that it was the Lord who was saving them. The name Joshua in English is the English way of saying the Hebrew name Yeshua. The name Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Joshua and Jesus both come from the Hebrew name Yeshua. Remember, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. New Testament's written in Greek. So when Moses called out Joshua by name, he would call him Yeshua. When Mary and Joseph would call Jesus' name, they would call him Yeshua. See, the name Joshua and Jesus both mean the Lord of salvation because they both come from the Hebrew name Yeshua. Joshua and Jesus and Yeshua are all the same name. For example, I was thinking, perhaps you know a person named George. The name George, I know several people named George. Now, the name George in German is Georg. And you know one, Mr. Von Trapp, right? If you will listen closely to the sound of music, Mr. Von Trapp's name is George. And he's called Georg, because that's how George is pronounced in German. I had a good friend in seminary who was from Costa Rica, and his name was George. But in Spanish, it's not called George. In Spanish, it's Jorge. So in Spanish, George is Jorge. So George, Georg, and Jorge 
are all the same name. See, it's not a coincidence as we go through this that Joshua and Jesus have the same name, Yeshua. And we're going to see some implications of that as we go along throughout our sermon series. Joshua, being a slave in Egypt, also meant that he saw all the miraculous signs and all the wonders that God performed in the 10 plagues on Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. Joshua was there for all of that. Of course, the last plague for Joshua was very personal. In 1 Chronicles 7, 20-27, there's a list of the descendants of the tribe of Ephraim. Joshua belonged to the tribe of Ephraim, and he was the firstborn son of his father, Nun. This meant that his life was in danger in that last plague, the night of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. But by faith, he was protected because they took the blood of the sacrificed Passover lamb and they placed the blood on the two doorposts and the lintel of their house. And when the plague hit and the firstborn males of Egypt died, the firstborn males of Egypt lived because the blood of the sacrificial Passover lamb was placed on the doorpost. Joshua was one of those firstborn males of Israel that was saved by the blood of the sacrificed Passover lamb. And yes, Joshua was saved from eternal death by the blood of the ultimate sacrifice, Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. How about you? It says in the scripture that no one can ever be saved without the shedding of blood. For as Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Joshua's salvation came through the shedding of blood of the perfect, sacrificed Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The same for us. How about you? Joshua knew slavery. And he saw with his own eyes the redemption of the Lord as he delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. And Joshua was also a soldier. The first recorded account of Joshua in the Bible is Joshua is a soldier in Exodus chapter 17. Joshua was called on by Moses to be the lead general in defending the Israelites from the attacking Amalekites. And this happened within the first two months of just leaving Egypt. Joshua, uh, Exodus 17, 8 through 14 says of Joshua, it says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the hill, on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the mountain. When Moses held up his hands, right, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down while Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out 
from the memory of Amalek from under heaven. See, Joshua had already, in just these first couple months, distinguished himself out to Moses as a leader. So Moses called on him to be the general, the first general in the first battle of the people of Israel ever fought. He might have had some type of military background, some training maybe as a slave in Egypt. Maybe the Egyptians had conscripted him into their military. But the lesson God taught here had nothing to do with the military. The Israelites had no chance of victory unless God directly intervened on their behalf. They're totally ill-equipped. They're totally unorganized. It was God who prevailed in the victory. It was God who won the victory. That was an important lesson for Moses to learn. It was an important lesson for the people to learn. It was an important lesson for Joshua to learn who would eventually lead the whole nation into battle and securing the promised land. I love verse 14, where it says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Write it down, Moses. Write it down and then tell it to Joshua. Recite it in his ears. Tell him who I am. Tell him I'm the powerful one. Tell him I'm the one doing the action here. Tell him I'm the one who did the victory. Tell him I'm the one who won the battle. What an important lesson for Joshua to learn. A lesson that totally shaped his future leadership. What an important truth for us to learn. Yes, we must battle. Yes, we must fight. We must take our steps of obedience. But it's God who wins. It's God who brings the victory. It's not our effort, but rather our dependence on God that wins the battle in our lives. God taught Joshua that. He's teaching us that. Joshua was also a servant. Joshua 1.1 described Joshua as Moses' assistant. He'd become Moses' right-hand man. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai to, to receive the Ten Commandments, who went with him? Joshua went with him. Now, he didn't go up all the way. He stayed a little lower. So when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments in his hands, he met up with Joshua. The story is told for us in Exodus 32. They meet together, and then here's recorded what happens in Exodus 32:17 and following. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not a, a sound of victory or, or a cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp, He saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw down the tablets that were in his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they made and he burned it with fire and he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Who was standing right next to Moses as all of this is going on? Joshua. He's right there. When they found the Israelites had created this idol in the golden calf and they were worshiping this idol, Moses' anger grew hot. 
Moses throws down the tablets that God himself had written on the Ten Commandments. He saw their sin. He saw Moses' righteous response. Joshua was right there. He learned a lot that day about God and righteousness. We catch another glimpse of the character of Joshua in Exodus 33, 7 through 11. As an assistant, he's with Moses. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud that, that led them by day, this, this great pillar, this represented presence of God would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses turned again into camp. But his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Where was Joshua, as God was speaking face-to-face with Moses, right there with him. Moses would meet with God face-to-face, and there's his assistant right there, meeting with God face-to-face with Moses. And when Moses would leave to go do his responsibilities, what would Joshua do? Sometimes he didn't leave. Sometimes he would linger in the tent, in the presence of God. and He wouldn't depart from the tent. See, Joshua wasn't just a servant of Moses. Joshua was a servant of God. He loved to linger in the presence of God, in his own relationship with God. See, God's not just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. No, God was his God. It was real. It was personal to him. Is God the God of your parents? Is God the God of your family? Is is God the God of your heritage? Or is God your God? Is it personal to you? Is it real to you? Perhaps you've heard it said that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. No one gets to heaven through someone else. We all have to deal with the reality of God and his command over our lives individually. So where are you in your relationship with God? That is perhaps the most important question you can ask yourself this morning. But believer, let me ask you this. Do you love to linger with God in his presence in his word, to linger with him. Next, we see Joshua as a spy. In Numbers 13 and 14, uh, Moses sends these 12 spies into the promised land to check it out. 
one spy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joshua went as a representative of the tribe of Ephraim. The 12 tribes come back, and perhaps you remember that 10 of them bring this negative, bad report. They only looked at their inability, not God's promise, not God's power, not God's word. Here's what they said. We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land, and they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. But Joshua knew better, and so did his fellow spy Caleb. Numbers 14 Six through seven tells us their response. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out their land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of people, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, for the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the people rebelled. The people of Israel listened to the ten rather than to the two. And they wandered 40 more years in the wilderness. God did not permit them to enter the promised land at that time. As a matter of fact, out of all the people that were alive on that day, that whole generation, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, finally on the verge of the promised land, only Joshua, only Caleb, out of all those people, only two, made it to the promised land. Such was the faith, the trust that Joshua had in the Lord. If the Lord said, enter the land then the Lord would bring about the victory. No foe, no matter their height, no matter their military ability, would be able to stand up against them because the battle is the Lord's. It's not in our might. Joshua had learned one of the greatest lessons of life. It's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. If your problems in life are too big, It might be because your view of God is too small. But if your view of God is true, if it's as big as God really is, an amazing thing happens, then your problems in life seem small. How big is your God? Is it true? Is it real to who he really is? See, you can truly count on God to always be true to his word. Always. To always come through. Well, next is Joshua as successor. We're going to spend much time on this next week. But just in this quick review of Joshua's life, we see clearly that God has been preparing Joshua for this ministry as a successor to Moses throughout his whole life. He went from slave to soldier to servant to spy to successor. What is God preparing for you to do? What experiences and challenges and victories and defeats and joys and heartaches is God leading you through? Why? 
preparing you, equipping you to serve him, to serve others in the unique way that he is making you. Lastly, we see that Joshua was spirit-filled. In the midst of the commissioning service for Joshua, successor to Moses in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. The Lord described Joshua as a man whom is the Spirit. The Lord declared him that. What a great commendation from the Lord. Of course, it only makes spiritual sense, right? Joshua's not some superman. He's not doing all this service and ability in his own power. He's a man of the Spirit. He knows what it means to live a life of dependence on God. He knows what he can't do, and he knows what only God can do. Imagine with me that you've decided to go sailing. The problem is, you don't know anything about sailing. So you go to the store, and you purchase several books, and you find out what's all involved. You carefully read them, and then you talk to a a veteran sailor who answers all of your questions. The next day you go out, you rent a sailboat. You examine it closely to make certain everything needed for successful sailing is there. It's present. It's all in good working order. Then you take your boat out onto the lake. Your excitement's at a fever pitch, and, and there's a little bit of fear. But you follow the instructions you've read and the counsel that you receive from the experienced sailor. You've launched your boat into the water. You're carefully monitoring each step of the way, and you hoist the sail. And at that precise moment, you learn a crucial lesson. You can study sailing. You can seek advice from the wisest and most veteran of sailors. You can cast your boat into the most beautiful lake under the most bright and inviting sun. You can successfully hoist the sail. But if there's no wind, you're not going sailing. You see, you can have great skill and ability. You can be a natural. You can be amazingly talented. You can have all the right books and ask all the right questions. You can go to all the best schools. But if there's no wind, if there's no spirit, if you don't live your life in dependence on the Holy Spirit, you are not going to be able to accomplish that for which God has for you. Joshua was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, and God used him greatly. How about you? You filled with the Holy Spirit? Does does the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life reign in you through the Word of God? That's how you become greatly used by God. God's Spirit using God's Word to bring about God's will in our lives. That's success. God's spirit using God's word to bring about God's will in our lives. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, the question lingers in our midst. How about us? How about us? These things that you've done for Joshua and through Joshua, how about us? 
Have we come to know you in a personal, real relationship with you? How about us? How about us as believers? Uh, Do we long to linger with you? Are we filled with the spirit and dependence and under the influence of your word and your spirit and to fulfill your will in our lives? How about us? Lord, challenge us and convict us and change us today. In Jesus' name, amen.